On this week's episode, we welcome Mr. Billy Carson and Mr. Vien Sariol. Sam Fannin's earlier talk about China and what a threat China has become. Let me start with you, Billy. Okay. Do you, do you, are you concerned about the United States losing its status as the world reserve currency? I'm not really concerned about the United States losing its status as the world reserve currency, simply because when you look and you analyze the way that China uses the yen and its other currency, they have a certain economic system based on production of goods. And if they expose or go beyond that, you're going to see a situation where they could destabilize their own currency. So I tend to think that the United States currency will still stand for some time to come, as we probably make a couple of slight adjustments in the way that we uh, are perceived around the world. Um, right now, I think that uh, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine may have a small impact, but nothing too big. Uh, what, what about the counterintelligence and the espionage um, uh, economic espionage that just continues to uh, to emanate out of the country. So isn't that a huge threat that that we just don't pay enough attention to? Well, I agree with that. There's a, there's a lot of espionage. There's a lot of threat that we have with our currency the way it is right now. That's why you see the U.S. trying to tap into other markets and trying to tap into even crypto. They're trying to destabilize other uh, platforms that are using crypto. Uh, and they're trying to get into that field so they can get a, a rein or a grasp on that industry so they may be able to uh, control it a little bit more and then reap the rewards of uh, finances and taxes from that area as well. So let me, let me go to um, Soro here. Uh, why do you think China quietly is supporting Russia in its fight against Ukraine? Is it to undermine the United States or do they feel they're actually in the theater fighting with the United States? Because most of the people and to know, know that um, Ukraine's war is a proxy war by the United States. Yeah, I mean, when you take a look at the, the backing that the Chinese are giving towards uh, the Russians, I mean, in terms of uh, their sovereign currency, I don't think that that has much of it. I think that they're, they're backing their closest neighbor, which is obviously Russia. But I don't think that you know, by them contributing to that, they're, they're looking to really build their BRICS nation, which the BRICS is, you know, Brazil, Russia, uh, China, South Africa, India. These are definitely um, currency or countries that want to maintain their sovereignty. And as we saw, you know, with what the United States did with wiping out 800 and some billion dollars of uh, Russia's money, uh, you know, with a stroke of a key, I think they're just trying to keep their their interests aligned, and that's you know why this BRICS nation is is so big right now, and growing. I think there's like 30 some nations on the waiting list to get into it because people are kind of getting sick of the United States dollar and what they can do with it. You know, it's kind of like rules for thee, but not for me. We can go in, we can invade Iraq, we can destabilize the entire. Uh, Middle East, but you know you can't go and invade Ukraine, uh, and that's you know unfortunately what's going on. So I think they're trying to really align themselves so that they have uh, they can make their own rules and not have to be uh, subservient to the United States. Well, well, let me follow up with this. It is a known fact that China's economy has its own problems, and it's also 
forecast that even China at its best, uh, with all things equal, could not possibly overtake the U.S. economy until 2035. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, when you take a look at the actual numbers, you know, China will say that they're at a 6 to 8% growth. That's closer to probably a 0 to 2% growth. And here's a statistic that kind of really threw me for a loop. You know, in China, there's like 63 million ghost apartments in these ghost towns that they've created that have nobody living in this place. And when you think about that, in the United States, we have about 21 million apartments of which are actually, you know, occupied. And so the Chinese government is definitely not as strong as uh, they say it is. Um, and it, it is heavily reliant on the United States buying their goods and services. And this is, you know, going back to what you asked, Billy, this is one of the main reasons that I don't think that China uh, anywhere near uh, soon is gonna get the world reserve currency. Um, and not just that, but they've also, you know, they started what's called a CBDC or a central bank digital currency, but people just don't trust it with, you know, China's social credit system and all the things that they have going in terms of suppression of content, um, you know, the rest of the world is gonna go, wait a second, you know, this is a, a cryptocurrency that's programmable money. You can, I have a direct contact uh, with a central bank by holding this cryptocurrency. And if I say something you don't like, you can take that money out with a snap of a finger. I'm not cool with that. And I, and I think, you know, the, the United States is, is able to do this. And this is why I don't think that, you know, people are going to sit there, governments are going to go, yeah, let's uh, go ahead and put all of our money or start dividing, you know, all of our assets and all of our goods in the Chinese yen. It's just not going to happen. You know, Sam Fattis, it, it's um, fascinating how the narrative is the mighty Chinese, the mighty Chinese military. And yet, if you talk to the people in UAE and the Middle East, if you talk to them all throughout Africa. Yes, um, China has been their partners, but what have they had to show for that in the long run? Collapse of the infrastructure that they built. Word is meaningless. They like to leave their people on the ground to grow them, um, to control and take over the economy. I mean, just look at that. While I even look at it, in, even in the Caribbean, in terms of what China does to move these nations forward, it cannot even compare to the United States. And, in, and as, 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 as is often not mentioned, any of these nations would much prefer to have the United States as its ally than the Chinese. The Chinese are weak all across the world, but why is it that we continue this narrative that the biggest threat to the world are the Chinese? Well, Armstrong, look, I, I agree with you in your characterization of the way the Chinese deal with countries all over the world, right? We talk about colonialism in Africa and the legacy of colonialism in Africa. Well. The Chinese are putting that to shame. Their, their whole plan in Africa is loot the place. And I also agree with, the, with the, the fact that, look, let's just stop with the fact that the Chinese are invincible. They're 20 feet tall. They were inevitably, they're inevitably gonna take over the planet. Let's, let's be real. They have a lot of weaknesses. They have a lot of issues. A lot of the statistics that come out of China are, are nonsensical in terms of growth and, and so forth. But I also think that one of the things we need to consider here is we're talking about the Chinese, and we're not talking about a billion Chinese. We're talking about the Chinese Communist Party and its leadership. We're talking about Xi Jinping and the people around him. 
their worldview is not one based on what is the most productive economic model or how to make the most money or these kinds of things. These are guys who come from a worldview. Xi idealizes Mao Zedong and envisions himself as the successor in, in many, many ways, not just in a position. Mao was willing to kill 100 million Chinese by forcing them into the villages, which made no sense from any perspective other than one, which is cement his control over that and make himself the dictator and crush all opposition. This is the way Xi Jinping looks at this. So when we talk about, you know, confrontation between China and the United States, what it'll do to the Chinese economy, I mean, from a capitalist worldview, it makes no sense on earth, right? You make all your money selling to the West, you're going to start a war with the West? That's the ultimate cutting off your nose to spite your face thing, right? But as I say often, you know, when we start attributing to our enemies the same worldview that we have, we usually end up in a really bad place. So, I, you know, it does, for me, all of this talk about weaknesses and reality checks and all of that, I'm on board 100%. It doesn't change the fact that the Chinese Communist Party's intention is to become the dominant world power. And we have to face that. Doesn't mean we have to freak out, run around in circles, set our hair on fire. It's just we need to sit down and say, okay, given that reality, what should our policies be? And one of those policies I would submit to you is, why don't we stop feeding the dragon, right? Why don't we begin to turn in the direction of disentangling ourselves, at least to some extent, economically from those guys? And, and, and Billy, and manufacturing on American soil, mm -hmm. Um, it's very important. I mean, people forget when former President Bill Clinton championed NAFTA, NAFTA in the long run was a complete disaster for the United States. Yeah, you know, NAFTA was a disaster. Um, we have to look and find a way to develop our own products and goods. Right now, a lot of the world is relying on China and now, of course, India. And we've kind of relinquished our power and what really made America, America, what made America great was the fact that we were producing and creating our own goods and, and we were exporting those out to other countries and then utilizing them here, here in our own country. But now uh, the way that the situation is, we have a lot of reliance on other countries, not only for pharmaceuticals and other types of goods, but those things that are making, that, that make us really who we are, are being outsourced. We need to bring them back home and develop them here. And I think that if we, uh, you know, one of the problems with China and why they won't actually make their money global is because what will happen is uh, it'll increase the, uh, the pay rate for their own employees there. They have to pay more money because the value of their, of their dollar will change and evolve. And so they don't want to do that. They want to keep prices low and cheap so they can continue to outsource. But here in America, we need to be able to bring those things here. And I think that we need to become more competitive. We need to find a way to increase wages and we need to find a way to bring people on to work here and develop products and goods here, including the pharmaceuticals and things that we need for our own people right here in America. One of the things we don't talk about enough is how China is the best at prostituting our political leaders, our public officials, and our institutions. They can be bought, they can be sold, they can be rented, and they can be bought again. And that is the one thing that China has done a very good job at, the indoctrination of our institutions, 
their programs in academia, everywhere, because they spend money. And it seems as though that our elected officials have a price, and there's no price that the Chinese are not willing to pay to infiltrate and get themselves intrinsically involved in our economy. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.